Hey everyone, welcome to Inside Northumbria, a series of podcasts giving you a chance to hear how we do things the Northumbria way. Hello and welcome to Inside the Emergency Department podcast, the podcast for all staff in and who work with us in the Emergency Department at NSEC in Cramlington. My name is James McFetrich, consultant in emergency medicine, and today I'm very pleased to have with me Lee Thompson, one of our paramedics. Hello. So, Lee, tell us a bit about uh, yourself. How did you get into being a, a paramedic? What was your career path? Yeah, so I've only ever done two jobs in my whole life. And right. uh, the first one, I, I left school and uh, I joined the RAF Regiment. Oh, right. Um, which was an absolutely amazing career Yeah. Uh, for only uh, seven years. Um, unfortunately, I, I had an accident and, and broke both my legs and uh, medically discharged. Right. And uh, when I come to leave, I had no real transferable skills apart from kind of blowing things up, which isn't very <laughs> much needed in the city street. But I was very fortunate. Uh, I, I worked in Northern Ireland for several years and I, I was attached to the what was the Ulster Defence Regiment. And I right. trained with them for about six months as a medic. Right. Um, so when I come out, it was just felt natural to go into the ambulance service um, and they were recruiting at the time for the patient transport service. Okay. Uh, so I was a part-time um, ambulance man for about four years Yeah. and then got the opportunity to become an ambulance technician. Okay. Uh, so that was a six weeks course uh, followed by a couple of weeks driving, advanced driving, which was good yeah. fun. And then the next four years as an ambulance technician. Um, and then applied for the paramedic uh, course, which uh, it sounds daft now when when it's a it's a degree profession. Yeah. But it was a, a six weeks course. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Uh, a couple of months in um, in the ED theatres. Um, yeah. And CCU and um, coronary care, and then at the end of that you get kicked out, and that's it. You're a qualified paramedic, which it's the end of scary, a few months it? is. Uh, <laughs> It's like I say, when, when we see the, 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 the graduates are coming through now, it was a, a really yeah. inadequate kind of education, really. But I think it was, you just learned on the shop floor and, and yeah. you progressed that way, you know. Um, and here I am. I've uh, ended up specialising in trauma. NIAS is a specialist paramedic for trauma. There's yeah. myself, Gary Shaw and uh, Caroline Davies. And we do all the clinical governance, audit and education research uh, yeah. with major trauma. Yeah. And you still, do you get specifically called out for, for some trauma because of that role? Yeah. Um, so we work alongside our heart colleagues, the air ambulance and our specialist paramedics. Right. Um, the downside now is because all these other roles have evolved. Uh, we're seeing less and less uh, patients. Sure. Um, we tend to be based in the office yeah. and we do get called out of trauma, but there's other resources there normally before we get there. So yeah. it's, it's quite rare that I actually see many patients now. Yeah. Um, and as a reflection of that, um, I'm probably getting more and more de-skilled when it comes to seeing medical stuff. Right. Hence why I'm, I'm doing additional training to kind of um, mitigate that and, and yeah. try and keep my skills up. Yeah. But I think that's the same in any specialism. You, you, oh, you become very, very skilled in a very, very narrow um, area of practice and the other stuff kind of drifts away a little bit. So you have to go back yeah. and refresh your skills and knowledge and yeah, yeah absolutely so one thing i'm really interested in is how you know we kind of have an image of how things work outside of our department in that pre-hospital arena but for myself i always think back to a time where 
you know, like you do, you're driving along and you see someone that's been involved in a, a car accident and I got out to try and help. And I felt, you know, I was a qualified consultant by then and I felt so out of my depth. It was cold, it was dark. No patient neatly presented on a white sheet on a trolley in a brightly lit room with lots of people around me. You know, what, what is it really like out, out there when you're faced with situations like that? Very similar to your experience. <laughs> I think when, if, if I come across an accident, which, which I did just a couple of weeks ago, uh, in your, your own car, you haven't got the equipment that you would normally have. I know yeah. the pre-hospital equipment we carry isn't uh, excessive. It's, it's very basic stuff. Yeah. But it's a bit like asking a, a bricklayer to build a house with any, without any equipment. You know, yeah, you need yeah, the yeah. basics. The way I always say it is as long as air's going in and out and blood's going round and round, <laughs> the job's pretty much done. Yeah. Anything else is just icing on the cake. But I think where our role differs to the ED side of things is it's, it's, it's hyper acute. There's a lot of uh, emotive things on scene that sure. probably distract you from the job at hand. RTCs are probably the best example because they, they don't happen in the, the best of conditions. It's normally yeah. when it's snowing or raining, blowing a gale. And there's other circumstances that have led to that accident. There might be yeah. a lot of aggression on scene and yeah, uh, alcohol involved. And all those things have to be taken into account before you've actually treat a patient as yeah. well as your own safety and your, the safety of your colleagues and people around you. But yeah, it, it tends to be the very raw event and it's that uh, wading through a lot of debris for a start, but getting yeah. to the patient and try and work out what's what's going on with the patient. Um, and I think trauma's quite easy. And I know my <laughs> colleagues will, will probably criticise us for this, but if a leg's facing one way when it should be facing the other way, it's pretty obvious what's wrong and you yeah. can do things. Whereas the medical side of things is way more complex and it, that, yeah. that's what needs a lot of brain work to do so as much as I've specialised in trauma it's really the easy side of the service yeah. but it's more emotive and more graphic and I think that's yeah. what people struggle to, to, to um, cope with and the fact that you um, not that there is an average paramedic but your average paramedic if you were to share the, the percentage of jobs out amongst them all the average paramedic will only do to active resuscitations a year. Right. We see a lot of uh, deceased patients sure. that we don't actually actively resuscitate. Yeah. But on average, there'll be two full uh, ongoing cardiac arrest resuscitations yeah. uh, every every year. And they'll only experience one major trauma every 12 to 18 months. So it's, right. it's not um, a lot of cases that we'll get that, yeah. at, at that end. The rest of it tends to be a more... Um, your medical patients, your long-term yeah. chronic conditions that have exacerbated and yeah. need a bit of uh, additional support. and um, But we'll get a lot of, I think it's a reflection of the, the, the NHS in general, really, that the, we haven't got enough GPs. And as a consequence, they're not seeing people in the community and they become more poorly, um, where they actually end up needing a, a 999 response. And then sure. obviously we bring them into the ED and it, it creates that whole... Uh, merry-go-round doesn't it yeah yeah but yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a great job if if you like um getting out and about and and, yeah. and seeing the hyper acute side of things yeah um and it's i love it and i, I like i say i've only ever done two jobs in my life and i love both <laughs> of them and it's yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty good I yeah i always think we probably do you a bit of a disservice when you come in with a patient and you've been through all that and it may have spent an hour or two with the patient depending on where you travel from and what was going on 
and it's all handed over to us as succinctly in a, in a nice summary as possible. Yeah. And then that's it. And yeah. I always feel a bit sad that, uh, you know, that's you've been through all that. And we're just like, yeah, yeah. someone else is short of breath. <laughs> I, I think it's quite nice what, what, what I'm doing with, with Matt Bowger at the minute in the ED is, is I'm, I'm learning loads of new stuff because it's kind yeah. of like that interface of, of where we meet our AD colleagues colleagues in the corridor yeah. and we hand a patient over and we don't really follow them up. Yeah. Um, and, and Matt's done this um, great thing, this post box, where we can actually um, ask for patients to be followed up and we get that nice feedback mechanism. Yeah. It's yeah. been fantastic, really, really good. What's what's really nice is Matt and, and a couple of his colleagues have been coming out with our crews yeah. and seeing everything that goes on before that point. Yeah. And I think it's opened their eyes. Yeah. And uh, and when it's reciprocated both ways, I think we we just understand a little bit more about each other's world, and it makes yeah. that that relationship a bit better and a bit easier. And yeah. Um, but yeah, there's nothing worse than than, than handing a patient over, and uh, especially in resource where it's it's a really unwell patient, and there's almost a throwaway question asked of the crew, which is like. Yeah, I had my hands a bit full up until this point. You know, <laughs> yes. it's just me; I couldn't do it all. Yeah. But I think when you when when ED colleagues come out, whether it's um, uh, nursing staff or, or docs, I think it's that realization. There's lots of other factors have have, have, have happened up until that point where we're coming to the ED. And sure. one of the other things we, we, we've done recently, which was the XRT, which is the X-ray response oh, yeah. team, uh, having radiographers come up with where yes. the physicians associates the docs yeah. and uh, that was a great learning experience for them and m- myself because yeah. i understanding the intricacies of, of x-rays and interpreting x-rays and, and, yeah. and how you integrate with the rest of the hospital and getting sure. orthopods on on board frailty teams care of the elderly and yeah. and this we're just little cogs in this massive nhs machine aren't we and i yeah, think when yeah. you have a better understanding it it actually makes your practice a little bit easier and, and, and a bit more streamlined because you know what's going to come next. And yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And just knowing what other people are going through, like you say, that yeah. throwaway question of, oh, yeah. did you not pick up the house keys on your way out? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so that's just a bit of an insight into uh, how you guys work. What would you want from us to be able to make your job a bit easier? Uh, what can we do to help you? I think every hospital ed it's, it's kind of um we always have always have had a good relationship um with all colleagues in there i think we share a lot of common ground yeah. and, and stuff and i think it's um maybe a reflection of how busy we are now but it, it we're, we're we're literally hand we're patient over uh, have a garbled conversation with whoever's in the triage at that time and we'll leave yeah. Uh, back in the old days where we could share a cup of tea and, and, and follow up patients and that doesn't yeah. happen anymore so I think the post box um, project that, that Matt Bowker did was, was great but because we haven't got the time or resources or anything mm. it, it's, we're very limited of, can we get some of our training time to spend in the ED so yeah. we just understand you as healthcare professionals and we can learn from you yeah. and likewise but I think because we're always overly stretched yeah. under-resourced yeah. that opportunity doesn't really happen yeah. um, and it's it's definitely different to what it was even 10 years ago we did have that little bit of time yeah. every AD and every um, ambulance is just stretched to the Absolutely. maximum at the moment yeah. and there's no given the system is that yeah but I think that, that that initial communication when you when you hand your patient over and um, just having a conversation with 
initially as a colleague but then as a friend I, I think yeah. it goes a long way you know yeah, we're yeah. all on the same team and we're, yeah. we're quite a social bunch yeah. and um, share a lot of common ground and I, I think that's what ties all together really yeah. but I, I do like that feedback mechanism and I yeah. think where it falls down is if it's local crews coming at the local hospital it's alright but yeah. you've got crews that are coming in from far people who would normally be feeding into say the Newcastle hospitals or the Durham yeah. hospitals who come up might be a little bit alienated in the department yeah, and, yeah. Um, and it's just providing that feedback loop I think but it's I'm singling out NSEC because it has got a really good relationship yeah. uh, backwards and forwards in the post box kind of project but that should be replicated in every hospital yeah, but yeah. it's it takes somebody to take ownership of that yeah, uh, and it's often put on people who don't have the time or resources to do it and it's sure. just something yeah. they end up doing in their own time and yeah you can yeah. only do that for so long, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do like it when your colleagues come in and say, oh, do you know how that guy's doing from a couple of days ago or even a couple of hours ago? It's really nice to have that yeah. ongoing process and a bit of learning. And if we get the opportunity to show some x-rays or talk through what's happened, I think that, that really helps with a, an understanding of what people have come in with and, and yeah. why they presented a bit unusually or awkwardly yeah. or, or what the issues were, have them explained a bit. Um, but as you say, we don't always have the time to have that in-depth conversation. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting insight into the world of a paramedic. Uh, so thank you for that. And, and thanks to you and all you guys for the work that you do, because it always seems like everyone's always on an extra shift or staying late to finish off a job. Yeah, we're all under a lot of pressure. Um, one thing that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast is if you could click your fingers and change anything in the NHS uh, money, no objects, practicalities, no objects. What do you think you'd change? Well, bizarrely, I, I was just chatting to Matt earlier and I was going, oh, just coffee machines everywhere. I live on, <laughs> live on coffee. But in, in the real world, going back to one of the things we touched on before, it's just resources. I know it always boils down to resources, but just even having minimum manning levels met. And yeah. I think you probably need some um, 10 or 20% overstaffing so they take into account sickness especially during covid because yeah. everybody was off yeah uh, but just to maintain that basic level minimum i think it would make the world a much easier place because everybody it, it doesn't matter where you are in the nhs everybody's running short yeah even on traditionally well-staffed wards it shouldn't be a, a wish list that should be a given shouldn't it but yeah yeah hey oh that's where we are yeah oh lovely good good insight into the uh, the world of the nhs yeah. isn't it uh, so thank you very much for your time with us today uh, and thank you all for listening to Inside the Emergency Department podcast. Please uh, rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss any further episodes and we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much.